Madison rocked my world this week when I ate a Reese's peanut butter cup that was in a bag of Halloween candy. And I said, Madison, I think that this Reese's tastes like frozen peas. I know that sounds weird. And you explained to me that when chocolate has been with fruity candy, it changes the flavor. And I didn't know that. For me, that was like the first thing you did on Halloween night. Divide up the candy. That way you wouldn't have this cross-contamination of like chocolate tasting like fruity candy. I, I had never, I never knew that. But now I know. This is Be Createful, a podcast about how we find fullness through creativity. I'm Joe, And I'm Madison. And today on episode 13, we're talking about barriers to creativity. Episode 13. I know. We're talking about barriers on unlucky 13. Yeah. Well, it's just so crazy to me that we've had 13. I oh, actu- so true. I actually thought that maybe I would read some reviews that people have left us on... Um, Apple Podcasts. Yes, yes, yes. Um, because y'all, we do read them. And if you haven't left us one, just do it real quick right now. Like, just it do really it. warms our hearts. It does. And then we'll read it out loud. Okay. I'll just read two. Okay. And then we'll read more next week. This one was left in August. Our very first review is <gasps> from our friend Patrick Hawkins. He says, Oh, it's titled Great Perspectives. I'm excited this podcast is a thing. Hi and Madison are awesome and are doing great work. Appreciate their perspectives. Wait, who's hi? I think that's autocorrect for Joe. (laughs) Please call me hi from now on. But that made me smile that it autocorrected me to hi. Oh, well, thanks, Patrick. Thank you, Patrick. Okay. And then Ginger Woodworker, I'm pretty sure this is Cody from Organic Woodwork. He, uh, cause he's a ginger and a woodworker, it, it says, love it. Joe is the best and her vision of community through creativity is amazing. Great job. Great Aww. job to you too, Madison. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. I couldn't have these conversations by myself. It, it'd be weird. It'd be boring. <laughs> <laughs> Barriers to creativity. We've set them up into two categories, right? Yes. So one category, the first one we'll go through is more about um, the sort of like intangible, in your head, emotional side of the barriers of creativity. Mm-hmm. In order to get over these barriers, it's sort of a mind game that you play with yourself. Yeah. Um, the second category is more tactile and can be easily or more easily fixed by seeking out help from outside of yourself. Right. So we have internal barriers and external barriers in a so sense. So well said. <laughs> yeah. I, sh- I like how you, you should said have it. just said that. <laughs> I like how you said it. So Joe, tell me about the first barrier that we came up with. So this is the first one because I think it is the one that almost 100% of people experience. Okay. And it is the barrier that I experience most frequently, even still as a seasoned creative. All right. It is unrealistic expectations and also slash perfectionism. We kind of have lumped these together because I think that they're um, very connected. I think it's 
we can have a conversation. We cannot have a conversation about one without talking about the other. Absolutely. Um, so what does this look like for you when you are gearing up for a project? I think I have gotten a lot better at being able to manage my expectations through my own experience. Okay. So I know what is realistic and what is unrealistic. For example, I know when I sew a quilt together, it is unrealistic to expect all of the seams to line up. So I actually am working on the big quilt. (laughs) It's what we'll... We've been talking about it for a few episodes. Yeah, we've called it like the pixel quilt or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll post a picture in the show notes that I had posted on social media a few weeks ago just showing that these seams do not line up. So I know that they're not going to. Yeah. So I feel like my expectations have been managed. And yet still, that whole post I did on um, social media was saying I still have to consciously choose to let go of the tendency to strive for perfection. It's something that I still have to say, no, I'm not going to let this be a barrier to my own creativity or to my appreciation or enjoyment of this thing that I made because it's amazing. Yeah. So it doesn't have to be perfect to be amazing. Exactly. And it's so odd that you can be doing this for this long. So like how long have you been quilting now? I've been quilting 12 years. Okay. So in all this time, you talked about how your experience has helped you to manage your expectations. Um, But I feel this way when I've been sewing for like somewhere around 15 years. I think every time, oh, it'll take me like a day to get this shirt done. And even after all this time, I, I have a hard time managing my expectations. It's like you actively have to think about it when you go into a project. Yes. And, but I, so I have to be cognizant now of when I start a project. Okay, this is going to take at least 10 hours and it, you will make mistakes during it. So give yourself time to fix those mistakes too. Yes. Any advice that you have to help people get over this type of barrier? I had this thought that places of inspiration like Pinterest or videos, um, they tend to be well touched up or at a certain angle so that you don't see all of the flaws and imperfections Mm -hmm. that are in it Mm -hmm. um, is at the beginning when you start out realizing that those images you see may not fully encompass all aspects of that project. Um, because from afar, your quilt top looks like all of the lines are perfectly straight. Yes. But it's only when you take the person up close to the quilt and say, here, look at this, this, and this, do you realize that there are imperfections in the quilt? So realizing that not everything that you see is perfect and giving your project permission to be imperfect. Yes. I would say go back if you haven't already and listen to episode four where we just talk about our own experiences with perfectionism, pretty much. And episode five, which is where we lay out, uh, I think we give 10 um, bits of advice to help people let go of perfectionism. And that for sure has a lot of takeaways on letting go of perfectionism. If I were to summarize what works best for me, and I think that's why this is why I wanted to lump expectations and perfectionism together is that properly managing my expectations on the front end has been the most helpful in managing 
the relationship I have with perfectionism as I go through my project and at the end. So if I can go into a project expecting to make mistakes, knowing where things are not going to line up, Mm -hmm. then that really helps me be okay every step of the process as it's obvious that things are not going to be perfect. Yeah. So let's say that we haven't managed our expectations at the beginning. Well, that can lead us into our second barrier, which is self-doubt and fear. Mm -hmm. Um, So... Like when I am starting out in something new that I've never tried before um, and I have these unmitigated expectations, probably around the 30-minute mark in is when I realize, oh, no, maybe I don't have what it takes mm. in order to complete this project. And that's what causes some of the, um, I guess, fear of failing, of, oh, no, I've spent all this time and sunk all of this Uh, materials into this project and I may not finish it. It may not be usable. So how do you, but do you feel self-doubt during a project or is it more at the beginning? I guess I feel it more at the beginning. Sometimes it's both. Um, more, it, I would feel it more at the beginning when I'm trying something I've never done before. Okay. And that can be even in the context of like garment sewing where I'm comfortable, even if I've, oh, I've made a shirt before, but I've never made this part of the shirt before. Like doing a new technique. Yeah. What is that experience like for you? I think I lean toward struggling with fear a little more than with self-doubt. Okay. I'm trying to figure out how to make that distinction in my brain. Maybe it's the same thing. Maybe fear is just the emotion that comes from the circumstance of self-doubt. I don't know. So like you're working on this really big quilt right now. Uh huh. I mean, have you made something that big before? Yes, but it's sometimes the fear comes from the experience. Like I think a lot of times when we're new at something, we don't know we should be scared of it. Oh, that's true. <laughs> and so then it's when we're about to do something again that we've done before and we know that it's going to be hard and challenging. Mm-hmm. And then we can have some fear getting started. So <laughs> I, when I feel like that, I'm just like, eh, I'm just not, I'm going to procrastinate that. Well, yeah, I, so I have not free motion quilted a quilt in a long time. Mm-hmm. And I have this big pixel quilt that I want to free motion and I want to quilt it with a monstera leaf motif. I decided, okay, I'm going to practice it. Well, first I'm just going to practice it on small scraps. Mm-hmm. And so then I decided I was going to practice it on a small quilt, like a lap size quilt. I have yeah. a bazillion quilt tops that are not quilted. And um, Madison likes to throw me some shade about them not <laughs> being finished. So I thought I'll finish one of these and I'll practice this new motif that I'm trying to do. And how much time did I waste getting started on it? I bet I wasted at least an hour. Yeah, because it sat in the studio. I think you went back into your office. You're like, okay, I'm just going to go do some office work. Mm-hmm. And then it just sat there sitting in the studio I for a while. I think I hemmed and hawed for a good hour. <laughs> and then I sat down and thought, okay, I'm just going to do it. Mm-hmm. Finally got started. And, and I said, oh, I think I'm getting it. 
guys. It looks so lovely. No, it doesn't look like your beginning practice pieces, but um, those were necessary in the process mm-hmm. in order for you to get where you are. Mm-hmm. Here are my takeaways then for, for dealing with self-doubt and fear. First of all, it's just to jump in. And sometimes that means you don't want to jump in on, like, I didn't want to jump in to this new free motion quilting motif on my big quilt that I had spent a week making. Mm -hmm. And so I found a way to practice what I wanted to do. I still wasn't ready to jump into my big project. I found an intermediate, Mm -hmm. I found a little stepping stone to practice again. And I find that practice of practicing to be the most beneficial in helping me get rid of my self-doubt and my fear. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that means an entire project is going to end up being your practice project. Absolutely. I mean, in garment sewing, you would call it a muslin. Yes. And sometimes those are wearable and sometimes they're made with like ugly bedsheet fabric. Exactly. On really important projects where I have fancy fabric, you can bet your bottom dollar that I am making some sort of muslin or I'll like do the lining first. So if I screw up on the lining, then I'm like, "Mm, okay, so on the outer part, I need to do this, this, and Mm -hmm. this. Um, It just gives you a buffer between your skills and the project. Yeah. Like a way to see that you are capable. Uh, One other thing to help combat self-doubt and fear, um, for those of you who have been practicing your craft for a while is to just trust yourself. Like you were talking about experience. That's a good one. Just remember all of the things that you've already overcome and just go ahead and dive in and like, you know what? I've got this. I've done this before. This may be difficult, but I have what it takes to get this done. And that if you mess up, you have what it takes to figure out how to fix it. Exactly. Okay, a third barrier to creativity is energy. And I think that this can happen in multiple ways. We'll name two. There's probably more. I think it is both emotional energy and a physical energy. Absolutely. So I was experiencing both of these barriers last night. Um, I've had this plaid fabric sitting in my stash for a little while, and I really want to make... I'm really into this whole like matching couple-y thing. Um, so I want to make Richard a button-up oh, shirt. Oh, matching you and Richard. Yes. I was thinking matching like top and bottom. Oh, I mean that too. <laughs> I want to make a matching set for Richard and I, but I wasn't sure if I had enough fabric. And so that means I'd have to lay out the fabric and do all of these steps and processes just to see if I could do this project. Mm-hmm. Well, last night I got home, I made dinner, and then I just wasn't feeling it. There's been a lot of social tension, and then yesterday was a busy day at the studio, and I had to take care of my dog, and by the end of it, I just wanted to, physically, I was like, I can't, I, I want to be creative, but I'm just going to sit on my couch in my comfy blanket. Mm-hmm. All of this social tension that's been happening has also made me emotionally tired as well, Um how I feel plays a big part in how I express my creativity. And in some ways, I do kind of need to be in a certain mood to be able to think um, think through whatever I'm doing. And I wasn't having either of it yesterday. So I literally just numbed out on the couch with 
several YouTube videos and a blanket around me going, man, I really want to be creative, but I just didn't have it in me to do that. And it was frustrating. I, this makes me think of a conversation that I had with one of my board members recently. And I mentioned this on a previous podcast. We were talking about, I think the social tension. I feel like I have these huge energy swings Mm -hmm. because of COVID and it can feel like all of a sudden I'm just drained. And I think why I haven't been doing anything, but that emotional exhaustion and burnout and all of that is very real. And she said, that she was struggling to be creative and, you know, that would be a go-to for her normally. And her comment to me was creativity is a gamble on your energy. Mm. So sometimes creativity is the thing that I need to energize me Mm -hmm. to, it can be life-giving. It could also be the opposite of that and draining on my energy. So when energy is something that feels like a limited resource, um, sometimes you just don't have enough of it to even get started on the project. Exactly. And that, and sometimes it can feed into this nasty cycle of, Oh, I just don't have the energy to start it. And then by the time you do, you think, Oh, I'm ready to start it up, but I'm going to have to do all of this stuff. And then you get tired again, thinking about it and you're like, okay, never mind. I don't want to do that. Right. Sometimes I like to watch content that energizes me. So even though I was on the couch, I like to watch things um, that get me in the mood to create, whether it's watching other creators or just finding things that give me inspiration for the project and like, oh, that's exciting. I never thought about doing it Mm -hmm. that way. There are also different steps in the creative process. And so sometimes when I don't feel like I have the energy to jump into a more active part of whatever project I'm working on, Mm -hmm. you can still be creative by doing another step in the process, which is what I hear you saying. Like you can lay on the couch and consume content that inspires you, or Mm -hmm. you can get on Pinterest and just find some quilt patterns that maybe you want to do and add those to your board. Sometimes that act of trying to spend my energy becoming inspired Mm -hmm. is what it takes to then give me the emotional energy to tackle whatever is next on the actual project that I'm working on. You hit the nail on the head there. Absolutely. It's It's like when the sun, it's like when you have dreary weather and then the sun comes out and all of a sudden you just have energy because of the sun Mm -hmm. or like when it's been so hot and then it cools off and that just reinvigorates you and Mm -hmm. gives you energy which both indicate change right something Uh needs to there needs to be a shift in order to get you into that space yeah so sometimes we can manipulate that shift a little bit within the creative process itself yeah I guess advice that I would have to when I'm struggling with my energy, and this would be the same. It's not just creative energy. A lot of times it's energy to move my body (laughs) or work out or feed myself or whatever it is that I'm feeling like, I just can't do that. I just can't empty the dishwasher. Mm -hmm. Um, I set a timer and just say, okay, when the timer goes off, I can stop. So a lot of times that is in my... Well, with the dishwasher, I will start making my coffee in the morning and I'll say, okay, as soon as my coffee is done, as soon as the coffee pot is done, I can quit emptying the dishwasher. Mm -hmm. 
it's like three minutes. Yeah. And usually the dishwasher is completely empty in three minutes, mm-hmm. unless there was a bunch of weird stuff in there that you have to like carry across the kitchen. Kind of sort in different yes. places. Yeah. But most of the time, by the time my coffee is done, my dishwasher is emptied. And then it's just, that is such a load off. <laughs> Get it? A load. <laughs> like a load of dishes. <laughs> um, then that's just such a relief. And I can enjoy my coffee without feeling guilty that I've been procrastinating emptying my dishwasher. I think the same is true for me when it comes to creativity. So back to this quilt that I was free motion quilting, I got about a little less than a quarter of it done in the studio. Mm-hmm. And that was on a Friday. And then I took it home. My daddy was here over the weekend, so I didn't work on it at all. And then Monday, um, we worked from home, not in the studio, and I had it with me. And I thought, oh, I should work on this quilt. Even though I had, I was no longer kind of dealing with that fear of, can I do this motif? Mm -hmm. I still knew that I had a lot of work and some frustrating work ahead of me, um, and I was really having difficulty mustering up the will, yeah. <laughs> the energy to do it. And so normally with quilting, I'll say, okay, I'm just going to sit down and do this until my bobbin runs out. And then when my bobbin runs out, if I feel like continuing, I will. But if I'm still not feeling it, then I will let myself stop. And a lot of times I do feel like continuing when my bobbin runs out, but on Monday I was not. So I just quilted it in little sections, like one bobbin at a time. I didn't even know that. That's Mm -hmm. cool. I like that. Set a timer or some sort of finish line. Yeah. I mean, it's not the finish line, some sort of. No, it's just like chunking it up, right? Yes. To be able to um, help you manage your energy and still get the project done. Kind of going off of that, you had this, even though it was only a lap quilt, you had this entire quilt that you essentially had to practice Mm -hmm. this element on, Um, which makes me think about projects that are like just so large Mm -hmm. and just have a lot of steps to them. And so that leads into our next barrier, which is about um, being overwhelmed by the scope or size of a project. Yes. So this um, may be one of my biggest barriers. Really? Right now. Okay. Like, Aside from perfectionism, this one being overwhelmed by a project is of the ones we're talking about today. It's probably my biggest barrier. My bi- consistently my biggest barrier. But you've done a lot of really big projects. You've built a deck. You've redecorated. I mean, not redecorated. You've like renovated your bathroom basically, and well, you've made these giant quilts. Like- this is also my problem. Is that I do. Absolutely nothing in moderation. (laughs) This is true. I can vouch. So I choose projects that are difficult and have a huge scope because that's, that is also what excites me. So we've talked about this before. My second garment that I sewed was a pair of jeans. I think I set myself up for this barrier (laughs) based on the projects that I choose. Yeah. But actually connecting it back to the previous barrier about emotional and physical energy, I tend to choose these projects when my energy is high. Ah. And then you get, I get excited and I get into it. And then, you know, in a week, my energy drops, but the project isn't done. 
And so now I guess it's kind of that dual, it's a double edged barrier Yes. of dealing now with both limited energy and becoming all of a sudden overwhelmed by the amount of work that's still done in the project. My deck would be the most recent example of that. Uh, and then when it was time to stain it, I wasn't really feeling it, but I also knew there was going to be a lot of limitations coming up, mostly to do with the weather. So I knew I needed to get it done before it started getting cold. And when we didn't have classes at make do, like I had to have the time to do it. And then I started thinking about all of the steps and it mm -hmm. was like cleaning it, sanding it, cleaning it, picking a stain, staining it, waiting for it to dry, cutting in the cracks, blah, blah, blah. And then there was the furniture and on and on and on. It just seemed endless. That just made me emotionally tired for <laughs> you. <laughs> also, we've been talking about it on the podcast probably since the beginning mm -hmm. uh, for 13 episodes. I probably have mentioned my deck at least once. Yes. <laughs> but now it's done. Ooh. So um, recently for me, it's been like when I am overwhelmed by something, it's usually when something is just out of my wheelhouse, like knit fabric. That is not my jam. And so when I wanted to make a costume that's completely made out of knit, that needs to be close to the body, I was like, uh, I don't know how this is going to work. And I think I waited until about mid-October to come to the studio and cut it out. Mm -hmm. um, I, I had done everything up to that point of like, oh, I have this pattern and I have this stuff for the shoes. But man, I was not wanting to mess with that fabric just yet. Because I felt like this is just going to be so awkward for me to try and figure out. Yeah. Well, the, and once you start, you were kind of at that point of no return as well. Because mm -hmm. once you start cutting into it, then, That's I mean, it. We, we talk about there's a lot of mistakes you can fix, but cutting into fabric is not one of them. Yes. So you may end up at that point in your project where, okay, past this point, I can't make, I can't make that many changes. Right. And that can feel very overwhelming. Yes. Maybe that's more the scope of the project than the size. Like mm -hmm. sometimes the overwhelming factor is just the sheer size of the project. Oh yeah. There are 100 steps in this to finish. And then sometimes the overwhelming factor is the skill that it's going to require. Absolutely. In either case, I think the simplest advice I have is to break it up into small chunks, which actually is the same advice I gave <laughs> <laughs> when you are finding creativity to be a drain on your energy. Um, so with my deck, I said, okay, today, this is my goal. Get it sanded and cleaned off. That's mm -hmm. probably all I have time to do today. Um, and, and so as I was able to take that, the huge project and break it down into manageable little bitty projects, mm -hmm. it seemed a lot more surmountable. So I'm going to bring up one that we had already mentioned earlier when it comes to scope is finding that intermediate project like you did with your lap yes. quilt. Yes, that's good. Find, you know, find something where you can practice and that will be your practice object and then you can move on to the bigger project that you actually wanted to work mm -hmm. on, which that can be frustrating too, because then it feels like you're adding another step. Um, but I think that if you view it as just part of the process and just kind of relax into it, like, 
I need to make this object as part of this bigger project. And you just kind of accept that, it makes it feel like you're not wasting your time. Our fifth barrier of creativity is having a very narrow approach on how a particular thing can be accomplished. And so then when you don't have access to what it takes mm -hmm. to go through those steps or to follow that approach, it feels like something that you can't do. Absolutely. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. So um, going back to my Halloween costume, because it's the most recent creative thing I've finished, um, not only did I think that I needed to have fabric that was specially printed, but I also thought I needed special eye lenses to wear she's in saying, this okay, mask. She's saying eye lenses. Yes. Right. As in, when you know, you, like glasses. When you were talking about eye lenses earlier, I thought you were saying islands. Oh. Like Hawaii <laughs> is a group of islands. Special <laughs> islands. <laughs> um, when I was getting ready to start this project, I thought I needed to specially order frames and lenses um, to put in my mask. I thought there is no way other than by machine that I could get a piece of plastic to curve around my head and then also have a material that is opaque from the outside, but that I could still see through. I am still blown away by this, by the <laughs> way. And I thought, no, there's got to be some way that I can make this. And I just hadn't come up with it. And I looked up different things and I'd have to go by like, like, you know, that like metal mesh that's above, um, like a stove, like it's the... Yes, th that is on the exhaust. Yes. Yeah. People have used that and like cut it. And I was like, I don't have metal cutters for that. Um, so eventually I was just kind of like looking around my sewing room like, what am I going to do? Halloween's like a week away. And then I thought, well, I have this tool that's lying around here. I wonder if I just layer this on top of each other that it'll get opaque enough. She When she says tool, you mean... The type of fabric that like tutus, tutus are made out of. Yes. Not a tool like a hammer is a tool and a screwdriver is a tool. Yeah. Not layering those on top of each other. Um, and then I went to the store and I bought a juice bottle that had the same curve as my face. <laughs> okay. Did you, I could just imagine you in Walmart <laughs> holding the juice up to your face and being like, Richard, does this line up with the curve of my face? <laughs> what do you think about this yeah, juice bottle? Um, so I found one and I made him power drink through this bottle of juice <laughs> so it could be empty. And then I layered the layers of tool over this curved plastic. And then I put like a craft foam frame around it and it turned out so good. It looks so cool. <laughs> like I can, I can't see well through it, but I can see well enough where I don't trip. I was so stalled on how to make these happen because I thought the only way that this is possible is if someone with a machine and special materials can make this. Mm -hmm. And that was simply not the case. Mm -hmm. um, so it just made me kind of stuck and it made me kind of like wait and then get tired and just like, I have to do this, but I don't know how to do it. And it, it really impeded my momentum in this costume. Right. And so it kind of halted my creative process. So have you ever kind of I was trying stuck? to think of an example and I guess I could think of examples when it comes to my business, like when it comes to the business of make do, mm -hmm. um, you know, all of our classes 
are pay what you can. And that was a model that I hadn't really seen people do before. I had seen people have a sliding scale fee structure, but then how do you go about that? Um, So trying to incorporate make dues, pay what you can model um, was challenging because I hadn't, I, you know, no one was telling me how to do that. The advice that I would have, whether it's in your business or as we talk about more often, creativity is to find things that are adjacent to what you're trying to do. Even that is going to require thinking outside of the box, which is what we're trying to do, right? If we're the opposite of having a narrow approach is to think outside of that approach. Mm -hmm. Being able to find something that is related to what you're doing without being the same thing. So it's... um, it has proximity, but it's not identical. I have found that helpful. To go along with that, I think of what are the qualities that I'm needing out of this particular product or process? So for you and Make Do, you wanted this place to be accessible to the community. And so you thought, okay, in what different ways can I make this accessible to the community? And in my um, in my situation, I was like, I need something that is hard, curved, and I can still see through. So what elements can I put together right. to make all of that happen? As opposed to just thinking this is the, you know, this kind of thing is the only way that those elements can be achieved. Yeah. So I guess it's then even being able to name the things that you need. There you go. Because how often can we just, we can't even say, like when someone says, where do you see yourself in five years? Mm. And then that question can feel so overwhelming because we're thinking, oh, that means where am I going to live or what's my job going to be or whatever. Mm -hmm. But if we are able to zoom way out and think, who do I want around me? What, um, what do I want to be important to me or taking mm-hmm. up my time? Then sometimes that can inform how we answer that question. And I think the same is true for solving these problems. So what I, you know, what you're saying is you had to zoom out from the problem of maybe Googling eye lenses for spider Gwen costume. Wasn't, which is exactly what I did, by the way. <laughs> wasn't getting you anywhere. Yeah. But if you're able to get more specific about what it really is that you need, you need something round and hard mm-hmm. and that you can see through. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a whole different Google search. Exactly. And that gets you out of the box. So like you were talking about with my Google search, I was only looking for one thing. I couldn't name, I couldn't at that point name the elements that I needed because I didn't know. Well, the next barrier that we're going to be talking about is knowledge, is sometimes you have a lack of knowledge in what you're doing, and that can cause issues with your creative process. Yes. And this is kind of walking, transitioning us out of those internal Mm -hmm. barriers that we had and into barriers that may exist outside of our own brains. Yeah. Regardless of what headspace you're in, if you don't know how to use a circular saw, you still don't know how to use a circular (laughs) saw. you better be in a good headspace before (laughs) you use a circular saw. (laughs) Or you will lose some fingers. Oh, dear. Um, Okay. So I I was trying to think of when is a time that I didn't know how to do something and I had to figure it out. And I just (laughs) thought, uh, everything I've ever done ever. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I feel like the first time you do 
a project. Um, you always are starting here and it's kind of my job at make do to always be trying new projects. I don't know. I just can really relate to this one. Oh, I know. I'm coming up with some new kids projects for our upcoming classes. And um, I needed a pattern for something and I was just not finding what I needed. I was like, I don't even know where to start on this project. And it's very frustrating. But once I have it down, I'm sure I will feel more comfortable about moving forward on the project. But here would be my advice for if knowledge is your barrier, besides going back and listening to episodes two and three of the Be Creative podcast, um, it's to research, ask questions along the way, and don't be afraid to mess up. Like you're going to get to the end of your knowledge and you're going to mess up and you're going to have to go back and figure out how to move forward. Exactly. Don't think that you have to know everything before you start. That's very true. And then at the end, you will have even more knowledge than if you've done all of the research in the world. Because there is a difference between just reading something and then putting your hands to a project. Yes. That's a different kind of knowledge. Yes. Once you have the knowledge <laughs> and you at least know where you're going to start, a lot of times the next barrier that you're going to come up against is access to the materials and the supplies that you need. Sometimes that could be you don't even have a store in your little town where you can get those things. Oh, Joe, that's <laughs> so close to home. Um, and then sometimes it's a matter of not even knowing what you need. Oh, that's so true. Or money, knowing what you need, but then thinking... I don't have $500 to get uh, all this woodworking stuff I need. But sometimes to get past, you know, to excel in your skill, you do have to throw down some money for tools. But perhaps you don't have that. So that's a limitation on your creativity. Um, I, it all comes back to costumes for me. <laughs> it's a true passion of mine. Last year, I just didn't have the money to go buy raw fabric. If you don't sew... Um, let me fill you in. Fabric's expensive. Very expensive. Um, I went into Goodwill, and thankfully, they had lots of base pieces that I could use, which was wonderful, and I could just sew other things onto it and use other recycled materials to make a lovely princess costume. Um, actually, I think I did use a juice bottle for corset boning last year, too. <laughs> so my advice is buy juice bottles. Juice bottles. Yeah. And goodwill. <laughs> well, I think some some good advice to help with this barrier is, um, especially if cost is the issue, then borrow the tools that you need, especially if it's a new craft and you aren't sure that it's something that you're going to stick with. There's mm -hmm. no reason to go buy a $200 sewing machine if you want to make curtains for your apartment or your house, and you're not sure if you're even going to like sewing. Because I guarantee you, you know someone who has a sewing machine. If you're in Cersei, come to one of our open studio days, yeah. and you can use one of our sewing machines. Um, so borrowing would be one thing. And then a second a piece of advice would be to look for alternatives. So like you did with your eye lenses, mm -hmm. look for things that other people have used to substitute for that thing that you think you need. 
in my bathroom remodel, um, my spontaneous bathroom remodel, I knew I wanted a different countertop, but there's no way that I could afford a countertop right now. Mm -hmm. And so the alternative was to spray paint it. And now you have this lovely new countertop. Yeah. It's very cool. A lovely newly old countertop. <laughs> so our next barrier to, to creativity is personal and environmental limitations, which we've talked about specific ones so far, but this covers some of the, some of the other ones that we haven't touched on just yet. Yes. My biggest physical limitation is that very rarely do my feet touch the ground. How tall are you, Joe? For those who don't know. I'm pretty much a solid 5'2". Okay. But my legs are disproportionately short compared to my torso. And so like short length pants are still always too long. I still have to mm -hmm. hem them. Oh. Um, so like right now, sitting in my chair to record this podcast, I have a, a plastic tub on the floor that I put my feet on. Right now, my feet are actually pulled up into the chair. Mm -hmm. So that would be a, a personal, a physical limitation yeah. that I have to account for. Um, when I was first married, I, we were in a two-bedroom apartment, and there's not a lot of space to cut out large pieces of fabric, mm. and I love me a 1950s full skirt. And so that meant that I had to cut things out in the living room, and that means that there were only certain times where I could practice my craft because mm -hmm. otherwise I was in the way. And so it was just very much like, well, this is the time that I have to do it. And whether I felt like it or not, if I wanted to make get this done, had to be then. Yeah. I mean, I think we could come up with a, a huge list of things that would qualify for this. We work with kids. So, you know, kids are little. Their hands are little. Mm -hmm. Um their motor skills are limited. Um, the other side of that spectrum would be as you get older, like I am already experiencing kind of, I guess it's like pre-arthritis. I don't know. <laughs> like, but pain in my hands, I didn't used to have before. So if I knit or crochet or embroider or even cutting with the rotary cutter, if I do that too much, I feel it the next day. Mm -hmm. Um, it could be your eyesight. It could be someone in a wheelchair. There's all kinds of physical limitations we have. Mm -hmm. And then the environmental limitations would be like you said, a really small space. Mm -hmm. Um, for me with my deck, the environmental limitations was the actual <laughs> environment. Yes. <laughs> Weather was a big thing. Um, if you have pets at home, that can also yeah. be a limitation. Or kids or husband. Uh, yeah, I know. It's all a barrier. <laughs> <laughs> um, so those are all sort of what we mean when we're talking about the personal yeah. and environmental, like physical limitations. Yes. Um, what would be ways you would help someone get over this barrier? So obviously with my small space, it was making sure that I had a time to rope off of like, mm, got to do it here and now. And everyone else needs to get over the fact that the living room is mine. Mm -hmm. um, so staking your claim on your space or finding a place that has space where you can work on a project like it make do. Mm -hmm. um, well, and sometimes that can clash against other barriers that we've mentioned. So I just think, especially when you are looking at a drain on your energy, if you don't have the energy to do a project, but that's the time that you have blocked out to do it, mm -hmm. you kind of just have to suck it up and yeah. 
and get it done when you have time. So my advice would be to control what you can. So Mm -hmm. for me, I put a stool underneath my feet and my feet touch the ground. Sometimes I put my foot pedal up on something to raise it up from the ground. Mm -hmm. We also do that for the children. (laughs) Um, And then, so control what you can and adapt when you need. So sometimes this does add an extra step to your creative process that you're not anticipating. Um, But you may need to set up a little tent over your furniture that's getting wet so you can paint it. Or like you said, you know, adapting to use your living room floor as a cutting table. Mm -hmm. Um, So there are ways around that, but it can definitely be a sticking point for sure. Which leads us into barrier number nine. This was a big one. Time. Especially when you see, okay, this art project was already big. And now I have to figure out how I'm going to get over (laughs) all these other barriers. I don't know that I have time for this anymore. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe you're already in the middle of another project and you're like, but I want to start this one. And you're like, "Mm, I don't think I have time for both. Or... Ooh, what do you do when that happens? If I don't have time for both, I usually just start the new one. No, um, As evidenced by all the unfinished quilt tops we're looking at right now. I decide based on whether or not I can multitask during one. So like if one is painting and the other is sewing something, then I can like paint a coat and then walk or mm, paint, yeah. and then walk over and do something else um, like dishes or whatever, or do laundry. And then I can come back to it. So that'll be the project I work on first. Cause I can get more done at the same time. When I was, um, living in Ireland and going to the Irish Bible Institute to get my degree, I had to write a thesis mm-hmm. and I actually wrote it on what's now make do. But <laughs> as I was in the research stage of that, and it just felt so overwhelming having to read all the articles and all of that. I would, and I was sewing, so I would sew until my bobbin ran out. And then after that, I would like read five articles or, you know, like mm-hmm. do a chunk of my, um, the, my paper. And then I'd get to sew until a bobbin ran out. And I went back and forth that way. <laughs> um, something else I have to consider is, is my goal to have this thing or do I want to go through the process of making this thing? Right. Um, I want to learn knitting because I would like to learn how to make a sweater, but in actuality, it probably is cheaper and it would take a lot less time for me to just go buy one secondhand or to search for one on Etsy that I like. Um, If saving money is your motivation, the creative way into a certain product is probably never going to pay off. (laughs) What am I trying to say? It's hardly ever cheaper to make something than to go out and buy it, especially when you factor in your time. You're absolutely correct. If you're wanting to save money and you're like, oh, I'll just make it. Mm -mm." Because time is money. Not only will you be spending your time on it, you will spend more money in materials than just buying the product already made. Which we will discuss this in depth in another episode is in itself a problem. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not good at all with moderation. So... As I think I have already said in this particular episode, (laughs) I want to be able to set out whole days. I want to be able to finish a project Mm -hmm. start to finish. And that's not realistic. And so a lot of times it's easy for me to think that I don't have time to do the creative things I want to do. Uh, 
And so I end up spending the time I do have just wasting it mm-hmm. on things that aren't important to me. Um, so the, the thing that helps me the most is to take a project and break it up. Mm-hmm. I think this is the third time that I have said this is something yes. that helps me. And it's true. It's how I'm able to be productive um, with my time and with my creativity. Even as I say that, I, I want to be clear that your creativity does not have to be productive. Yes. But I think this conversation is a lot more around the actual making of the thing. Mm -hmm. And so that does involve some sort of productiveness. A little bit. (laughs) Uh, My my advice would be, um, like we've already said earlier, managing your expectations. Here's what I can actually get done within this amount of time that I have and being okay with that. Right. And then being able to set it aside and come back to it later. Absolutely. And realizing that not finishing whatever it is you're doing in one setting is not a failure. I'm working on um, a project right now for Make Do um, on our website and it's involving a lot of a mix of creativity. I want it to look a certain way and also more technical stuff, figuring out how to actually do it. And it's been a big undertaking for me creatively. And I've been having a hard time sitting down and making myself do it. And so today I worked on it yesterday. I just felt like I was really spinning my wheels. And then today I told Madison, I'm setting my timer for 20 minutes and then I can take a break, shut the door. Mm -hmm. And you came in and you said, Joe, I think it's been more than 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. And it had been about an hour because I finally just setting that timer for 20 minutes helped me feel like I could get into the creative flow of the project. And then I was able to keep going. Um, But yeah, time is a big one. Whether there's an abundance of it or it's limited, it can still be a big barrier. So chunking it is a great way to get over it as well as managing. Chunking it as in breaking it up into smaller yes. pieces, not chunking it into the trash. <laughs> I've done that a time or two. Our last one's a big one. Our last one. Okay. Barrier number 10. Barrier number 10 is other people. So Whew. what do you mean by that? <laughs> <laughs> so ominous, I know. If I'm not in community with other people, it is a barrier to my creative process. Before working at Make Do... I did not have friends who sewed. Mm. It's just very uncommon. And I've been I've been okay. I even would say I'm flourishing yeah. <laughs> in the creative process with my sewing. However, I didn't have anyone to talk to about problems that I encountered mm. or um, even talking about products and processes until I came here and I got the chance to talk to you Mm -hmm. and then to all of the people who have come in and taken our classes. You could just feel very alone. Isolated, kind of. Yeah. So how do other people present a barrier to you in your creative process? I think that that is one way as well, um, is kind of feeling like you are creating in a vacuum Um, and feeling alone and isolated, um, feeling like, so with make do specifically, you know, being responsible to come up with all of the class projects that we're going to do and then having to have time to make the samples. Also then if I don't have the energy to come up with something new, um, you know, that is a huge benefit of having you here as a 
someone to bounce ideas off of. Mm -hmm. Um, and that kind of helps jumpstart the creativity when it has stalled for me is having someone else on the flip side, other people can also be a, something that I compare myself to. Mm -hmm. And in that case, then it's, I can feel discouraged in my own creativity or my own ability to do something if I'm looking at the work of other people and thinking that theirs is better than mine. Absolutely. Um, I think of going to Joann's and all of those older women being like, oh, I've made my husband's suits and I made my wedding dress and I did all of this. What are you making? And I'm like, oh, I'm making a sundress. <laughs> I'm making pillows. <laughs> I'm making a pillowcase. Um yeah, it feels makes you feel very less than and mm -hmm. like, well, what's the point? Especially with crafts that require a lot of practice. Um, so this weekend we have a sewing class and I'm going to teach free motion quilting as part of that project. It is a difficult thing to do. And I know already I'm thinking people are going to get frustrated by this. People are going to look at the samples that I have, and I've been doing this a long time. And when even when I show it, I, I know I make it look easy mm -hmm. because I've been doing it so long. Um, and if you think about a little kid who's trying to walk for the first time and how much they stumble, that example is true for anything we start as beginners. Um, and you really have to learn to walk before you run and blah, blah, blah. We know all of that. But I think that it still is so tempting to compare ourselves to other people. So the way that I get over that hurdle in my own creative process is to limit what I'm looking at on social media. Mm. That it means Pinterest, uh, Google, any, you know, Instagram, all of those things. I limit my use on those platforms to two things, inspiration and information gathering. I do not let those platforms become a benchmark for my expectations. I don't let them inform what my work should look like, especially as a beginner. Oh, absolutely. Um, to the flip side of that, to be very alone and isolated. And perhaps you experience this if you're in a smaller town mm -hmm. or you are practicing a craft that is so um, unique, is to try to find community um, online. I have found that through uh, YouTube as well as different forums um, where people will just post pictures or um, talk about the processes that they do to make clothing items or whatever it may be. And it just makes me feel like there are other people out there that are struggling or who are making themselves better through creativity. Mm -hmm. And I can comment and I can engage with them in some ways. Um, that makes me not feel so alone. Yeah. The cool thing about the place that I work now is that we also offer that experience here. Mm. Um, we have a place where people can come and learn and build relationships with each other through the creative process and through that become a tighter knit community. Yeah. The community aspect is a pillar of Make Do's mission and it's why we don't offer private classes. 
mm-hmm. um, or one-on-one classes, I should say. Yeah, we don't do private lessons. Here. No, because we want to inject that idea of community and encouragement into the DNA of what it means to be creative. Um, yeah, I have on my uh, notes to get a gather some createful cheerleaders yeah. <laughs> and we will be that for you tag make do on instagram um, yes. on anything that you're making we want to see it whether it's one of our projects or not it doesn't matter we want to see what you're making i think this podcast is also a way for people to engage with the creative community um you may not you may be a quilter like joe or a you know sewing garments like me or you may be a painter or a cheese sculptor or whatever if you are a cheese sculptor (laughs) (laughs) and like it's we can eat your sculptures I would be down for that absolutely (laughs) um hopefully our podcast is giving you a little slice of um the community that you're seeking out Mm -hmm. you are not just creating in a vacuum we're we want to be your cheerleaders too yes So please tag us so that we can see your lovely creations. Yes. And thank you for being our cheerleaders by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. Oh, so smooth. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's a good place to end. I think so too. All right. Bye, Madison. (laughs) Bye. Thank you to my dear, dear friend, Craig Hudson, for our very createful theme music. You can hear more of Craig's music on Spotify under Craig Hudson. That's Hudson with a T. Or you can just uh, click on the link in the show notes. Also, be sure to connect with Make Do on Instagram at Make Do Create or on Facebook at Make Do Circe. And visit our website, makedocreate.org, for upcoming classes, show notes, to order a face mask, lots of things. We'll be back here with another episode next Monday. Have a good week, y'all.